Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of World of Wallace and Gromit, the podcast. Today we'll be looking at their second adventure, and my favourite film, The Wrong Trousers. This episode is a little longer than our previous ones, but I hope you'll agree that it's because there's just so much great stuff about this film that needs including. If you enjoy these podcasts, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss them. Let's begin. Following the transmission of A Grand Day Out on Channel 4, the BBC realised Wallace and Gromit was something special, and so commissioned a second film, which came to be The Wrong Trousers. After a much darker opening music sequence compared with A Grand Day Out, it's the 12th of February, Gromit's birthday. We see him quietly eating his toast with a cup of tea at the kitchen table, surrounded by a complex miniature train track set up snaking all over the house. When the post arrives, Gromit rushes to retrieve it, hopeful there might be something for him. Almost all for Wallace, but a single card for Gromit. Wallace then enters, or rather drops, from the bedroom above, into his chair at the table, setting in motion the dressertron and breakfast dispenser, with a little assistance from Gromit to get it going. We see a lot more of Wallace's inventing ability in this film, and for the breakfast dispenser, a spring-loaded device fires jammed towards Wallace's face, but with perfect timing is intercepted by a piece of toast popping out of the toaster and the jam-covered toast then lands neatly on Wallace's plate, unusually pretty smooth for one of Wallace's inventions. After inspecting his post of piles of bills, Wallace concludes that the only way to cover them is to get a lodger in their spare room. Despite Gromit's gentle hints that it's his birthday during this sequence, it seems that Wallace has forgotten, until he lets slip about buying presents. Just look at that, I'm down to my last few coppers. And those presents weren't cheap either. <gasps> Let's see what's on the 905, shall we? <laughs> Alas, much to Gromit's disapproval, it's a dog collar and lead. Not what an independent dog wants. You look like somebody owns you now. But that is only the first part. In a rather ominous way, the techno trousers present themselves to Gromit. They're techno trousers, ex-NASA. Gromit is not impressed. Skipping forward a little, the lodger that ends up staying with Wallace and Gromit is a seemingly unassuming penguin, but Gromit has his suspicions that this penguin smells like trouble right from the start, especially as he rejects the spare room and takes over Gromit's room instead. It could have all been fine. The late-night music wasn't ideal, but in the end, that was the least of their worries. I won't spoil the rest of the story if you haven't seen it, but the scenes to come are full of a whole range of emotions, from heart-wrenching sadness, suspense, drama, disaster, culminating in an action-packed train chase. This film really does have it all. Released on Boxing Day in 1993, The Wrong Trousers is in a league above its predecessor, A Grand Day Out. It has a sharper plot, wittier lines, and is full of cinematic gold, yet still retains the charm and craft of the animation people knew from A Grand Day Out. As with A Grand Day Out, The Wrong Trousers takes place in a world where the extraordinary is perfectly acceptable. A master criminal penguin can take up lodgings, yet well-behaved dogs are denied. An extraordinarily long train track can exist in a terraced house. It's also the unpredictability of story that keeps the viewer on tenderhooks for the whole 30 minutes, yet still remains cohesive and has a clear direction. The Wrong Trousers was a real learning experience for Wallace and Gromit's creator Nick Park. When making his first film, A Grand Day Out, he hadn't much experience with script writing and consequently the plot was fairly simple and linear. 
After gaining experience working on commercials at Aardman, he understood more about storytelling and structure, and wanted Wallace and Gromit's next short film to be much more sophisticated in its plot and stretch him as a filmmaker. Nick's sketchbooks were full of ideas. Loads of drawings and little sequences sketched out, and many of these ideas would end up in the finished film. But the initial challenge was how to tie all these loose ends together. Things like a penguin coming to stay, remote-controlled space trousers, and even the train chase sequence were all there randomly scattered in his sketchbooks over a few years. An original idea for the trousers was that they were to have fallen from space, and after having scorched his only good pair with a remote-controlled iron, Wallace would have to wear them to a ball. Quite different to what we get in the final film. After struggling to come up with a story himself, he tried unsuccessfully to write with Ardman Animation's co-founder Peter Lord, and then another writer named Brian Sibley, which didn't work out either. Eventually, he came across a man called Bob Baker, who was a writer in Bristol, and was already in intermittent contact with Ardman for some other work. Coincidentally, Bob had scripted episodes of Doctor Who in the 1970s and had helped create another infamous dog, K-9. He helped Nick shape the story into something that worked and gave him lots of advice along the way, although the process of writing the script wasn't quite what he was used to. Recalling the first meetings with Nick, he remembers that Nick started by showing him his 200 or so wild and imaginative ideas and thoughts for potential inclusion in the film. Bob then helped Nick to pick out some which would make a good story. Bob had the ability to see a load of disjointed ideas and work out a credible storyline which had all the key elements of humour and wit that worked so well in the Wallace and Gromit stories. It was also his idea to take Nick's penguin, who was in a zoo, and turn him into the villain of the piece. And of course, if there's a villain, there has to be a crime. That then links to a robbery, and then you get the train chase following that. From straightforward reasoning about the purposes of the character of the story, you can achieve all the humanity and interactions between the characters without sacrificing the plot. It took about three months to go from the early ideas to a finished script, and it would have been faster had Nick not been so busy at the time with other projects. They only worked on the script when Bob and Nick were together, which would be quite intermittent the odd half-day or full day here and there. Despite the lack of time together, they ended up with a script of about 70 or 80 pages, which then had to be cut to 40. The cuts weren't quite as big as in A Grand Day Out, where whole sequences of the plot were cut before they finished the film. It was mainly little things that would have been fun to include, but weren't central to the narrative. When it came to actually animating the wrong trousers, Nick wasn't doing it all himself this time. Steve Box was an animator, working at CMTB initially, a different Bristol animation company, and moved to Arvon in 1990. When A Grand Day Out was being made, Steve knew about its progress because his editor at the time, Rob Copeland, was editing it as a favour to Nick. Steve admits that the silent snippets he saw of the film didn't convince him it was going to amount to much, and it was only when he saw the final thing he thought what a lovely feel it had. When he moved to Arvon, he initially worked on commercials and health information films, but when he was asked to animate the wrong trousers with Nick, he was very keen to work on this new film. Nick was a little nervous about letting someone else handle his beloved characters, having been the only one involved in all aspects of their animation up to this point. So it was agreed that Nick would take care of Wallace and Gromit, while Steve would focus on the Penguin. Fortunately, the work Steve produced exceeded Nick's expectations and resulted in a friendly rivalry between the two animators, which produced higher quality animation than before. What I particularly like about the penguin, Feathers McGraw, is how menacing he was, with so little expression. 
His facial features are limited, and he's pretty small, yet you can feel how evil he is, just from the way he walks. Steve realised that the less he did, his simple beady eyes, his flippers mostly by his side, the more fantastically sinister he was. Eventually, Steve proved himself enough to help out with animating Gromit, under Nick's watchful eye, of course, and then progressed even to doing a bit of Wallace. Fun fact, the building where the wrong trousers was filmed used to be an old banana-ripening shed. Some of the cinematic feel of the film can be credited to inspiration from other films, although you might not recognise it in its animated form. For example, the shot of Feathers McGraw in the doorway looking at Gromit upon arrival to 62 West Wallaby Street is modelled on Alec Guinness's arrival in the Ealing comedy The Lady Killers from 1955. Julian Knott, the composer for all the music in The Wrong Trousers and A Grand Day Out, was also influenced, amongst other things, by the music of Bernard Herrmann, who wrote music for many Alfred Hitchcock films, including, most memorably, the 1960 film Psycho. Julian Knott was born in 1960 and after studying music and politics at Oxford University attended the National Film and Television School where he met Nick Park. Originally another composer was going to write the music for A Grand Day Out but ended up being too busy so Julian was asked instead. In the gap between composing the music for A Grand Day Out and Nick actually finishing the film Julian found composing work hard to get so was very pleased when Nick phoned him to ask if he would score the second Wallace and Gromit film. When writing for The Wrong Trousers, it was decided that the music shouldn't be children's music, but should be the kind that you would write for drama with real actors, 1950s thriller kind of thing. By avoiding trying to make the music funny, it helps to suggest that Wallace and Gromit are really in jeopardy situations, and creates a comedic tension in many parts of the film, enhancing the overall effect. For The Train Chase, a different approach was used. Julian originally wrote music which was fast and thrilling to suggest real danger, but it didn't seem to work as they wanted to, so they resorted to out-and-out comedy music instead. The train chase is up there with my favourite ever scenes from a film. I love the excitement of it, and no matter how many times you watch it, it never gets old. To film the sequence, the camera and the train were both attached to a central rig, which could move along a 20-foot-long track. This whole rig could be pushed along, and to blur the background whilst keeping the training characters steady, the camera shutter opened for two seconds, creating to 10 centimetres of movement. There are so many aspects of this film that deserve a mention. From the detail of the newspaper articles, the slapstick moments of comedy gold, the classic dog food box disguise sequence, even the careful curation of the museum exhibits. The best bit about this film is the more times you watch it, the more ingenious little details you see, and that's down to the very high level of expertise belonging to Arben's filmmakers. What a film. When it was released, it was received very enthusiastically. One reviewer from the BBC said, Gromit is the most expressive cartoon dog since Snoopy, and without uttering a word, he carries the story through its all-too-brief 30 minutes. Another critic from the New York Times said, The Wrong Trousers has everything one wants from a half-hour cartoon, sharply defined characters, a story that's clearly told, 
many light joking touches and endless technical ingenuity. It's therefore no surprise that in 1994 it went on to win the Oscar for the Best Animated Short Film at the Academy Awards and the BAFTA for the Best Animated Film, as well as 11 other awards at film festivals all over the world. The world was clearly starting to notice this plasticine duo and wonder what would be next for them. What do you think of that then, Gromit? It only seemed fitting to review the graphic novel of The Wrong Trousers for this episode, which was first published in 2010 and illustrated by Bill Cohen. This 59-page book tells the story of The Wrong Trousers with hundreds of beautifully illustrated panels set out in the style of a comic book. Generally, the grasp of the story is very close to that of the film, even down to the same camera angles and background details. Some of the coloration feels a little darker than in the film, but that might just be down to the fact that it's illustrated rather than modelled in plasticine, where the light would reflect off it. There is simple narration with speech every few panels, which is obviously not in the film itself, but because of the lack of movement and flow between the scenes, which you get in the films, it's probably needed to make sense of it all if you've never seen the film. It also helps the reader to tell the story if they're reading it aloud to a child, say. Overall, this is a neat little book, and I particularly like how all the noises are described using different sounds spelt out. I'd say it's a good option for a child's bedtime story or a collector's item, but I wouldn't say it was a must-have for the average fan. Uh, all's well that ends well, that's what I say. That brings episode three to a close. I hope you've enjoyed it, and will join us next week when we look at the next film in the Wallace and Gromit series, A Close Shave. See you then. From me, from Gromit, from us. Au revoir, chucks.